I am so thankful for men and women like Jimmy and LaDonna who are so faithful uh, through so many things at any time or just about anything, they're faithful. And to serve, it, 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 it amazes me the, the amount of spiritual uh, talent that we have that if Matt's out of town, that Timmy can take it. If Matt and Timmy's out, Philip takes it and and they're faithful to it, and, and to fill in at the piano, and to take care of Sunday night services, and all that. I remember in my first church when uh, my, our piano player got very sick, and uh, we went for about three months with uh, just hoping we could find a piano player, and one would show up every once in a while, but there was a lot of Sundays that uh, it was just a cappella, and... Uh, we're not Church of Christ, I don't mean that negative, but uh, we just don't sing as good as they do, I think, sometimes. And so it, it's good to hear the, those instruments behind us. And so I, I just want to take a moment and thank all of you who give your heart, give your talents in worship to the King. Aren't you thankful? Guitars and drum boxes, I was going to try to say the name, but I'd probably mess it up, and so... I'm just going to sound ignorant like I am and call it a drum box. Uh, guitars and pianos and uh, that side of my brain don't work. And I'm just very thankful for everyone who contributes. This morning I want us to turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. As we continue looking through this book on the laboratory of life. Every day is kind of a test. Every day is another experiment in existence. What's better than something else? What matters? What is going to last? The world is saying, do it our way. And so they snap, tweet, and advertise Anything and everything to try to get our money, try to get our attention. The world says you don't need God, you don't need anything of faith or religion. And yet Solomon tells us throughout this book, I've tried it all, and when it comes to the end of the day, when you put it in the balances of, of eternality, that which is temporal and that which is not of God will not last. It's vain and vanity and a bursting bubble that leaves no residue or evidence it was even there. But God remains. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. The last couple weeks, or last week, both services, we looked at being distracted. He talked about how money and health and, and all the things of, uh, of life, all the trappings can suck us in and, and, and clamp down with its teeth into our life so that we're distracted from who God is. And some of us are just honest. They say, look, I've got so much going on in my life, I'm not reading my Bible, I'm not praying, I'm not attending uh, Sunday school, I'm not giving, I'm not serving. 
And I, I've just got to, I've got to make up my mind. Well, today's your day. Yesterday afternoon, my family came back from Charleston where we had been to see my nephew's graduation Friday night. Uh, how many have never been to Charleston? Don't go. You think Atlanta traffic's bad? It's beautiful. If you love traffic, go. But we went, enjoyed great time with Becky's brother and our nephew Mason. Sat through four hours of the graduation of the largest high school in South Carolina, where they called 961 names. And uh, got out of there at 10.30. But it was not even close to comparing to our trip home. So we're going down 17, and we're trying to get to the expressway, and it was clouding up. Man, it was a terrible-looking cloud, and I know y'all went through some bad weather. But about the time we got, and I was about to run out of gas, I was pushing it to its limit, I stopped at the gas station, and we saw lightning right before we got to the station. It hadn't really started raining that much, and we pulled into the gas station. None of the pumps worked. I said, good grief. So I went to the next gas station. None of the pumps worked. Finally, the lady came out and she said, lightning strike, everything's down. We're trying to reboot. And so we sat there for a little while, got it rebooted, got gassed up, got on the expressways. Finally, let's go home. We were about five miles down I-95, and we hit as bad a storm as I've ever been in on the expressway. Sheriff, I don't know how there wasn't cars in every ditch and everything else, how there wasn't a 50-car pileup. But amazingly, people didn't hit each other. Uh, my daughter was on some app that told all kinds of neat facts about what was out in front of us, which really helped us. Because there were trees down all over the expressway. I'm talking about across the expressway where we would have to literally come to a stop, run into what was the median, what part of the median, run around these trees, hailing all kinds of, everybody with their flashers on. And, you know, at one point I could turn the wipers on and even turn it all the way up to its highest place many a time, and it would help for a little while. But after we got into the very heart of the storm, I mean, it was like microbursts. It was downdrafts and trees blowing all over and trees blown over and I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. The wipers didn't help. And the best thing you could do is slow down to a stop. I thought how fitting for today. Last week we looked at being distracted. Today I want us to look at focus. How we need to focus. I'm going to tell you, I was drawled up. They're all sitting back, laughing, having a big time. I think Alyssa was stressed out with me because she was kind of quiet back there. But I'm just drawled up. I mean, you don't talk about not driving distracted. I didn't even want to cut my eyes over at Becky. All I wanted to do was focus on that road. It, it was, and, and you know what went through my head? I wasn't like this when I was young. I just drove through, you know, I just kept hammering it down and, there was those knuckleheads that come by me like that. But you know what? There's part of getting older that's pretty smart. Where you wise up, you don't do those dumb things 
that you used to do. Well, you know, that applies in the spiritual walk. The older we get, the more we ought to open our eyes, stop being distracted by all the busyness of Christianity and life and ministry and, and worldliness. I'm not talking about just open, blatant sin. I'm talking about the hidden sins of our life that is sucking the life out of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to stop and focus. Get it in focus. What does God want from me? Not what does God want for Eastside and what God wants for Claxton. What, listen, all that will come into clarity when God's people in a united front have their individual focus on Him. Every song we sang this morning focused on Jesus. Did you hear what Brother Jimmy just charged us in worship? May that be our prayer as we go through the remaining part of this service. Have your own way, Lord. Is that our prayer today? As we look forward to summer, as we look forward to the future, are we saying, God, here it is. Here's my retirement. God, here's my vacation. God, here is my family. Have your own way. That's tough. For some of us, a couple of those may be pretty easy. Whereas with other people, that which is easy for some may be hard for us. But we need to come to a point where we get things in focus. Look in chapter 7, verse 11. Wisdom is good. Now, we, remember we talked about money and health and wealth and all kinds of things apart from God causes distraction. Today, he brings clarity and he brings it into focus. He says, wisdom is good with an inheritance and by it, there is profit to them that see the sun. Now, this is a unique phrase because everywhere he's talked about it before, he's talked about above the sun or below the sun. But now in verse 11, he says, there is profit to them that see the sun. In other words, they have focus of how they are below the creator. They're the creation, but God is above them, but they see it. We don't see the separation, or, or we, we, we're not in a place where we fail to see the separation. We see God is God, we're not, but we accept it in the beloved. And so he tells us in verse 12, for wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense. Wow, he talked about money being a detriment before, but now he says money is a defense. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to them that have it. There's a difference between what wisdom and knowledge. There's a lot of people with a lot of knowledge. They know a lot of stuff. Hawking, Nitschke, Sagan, great philosophers throughout time have been brilliant minds. They have invented things and they've figured out all kinds of stuff that's been very helpful to mankind. But it's not wisdom until you know how to handle it. You see, wisdom is the ability to know what is right and do it. Wisdom 
Edmund Burke, we were talking about this the other day, my second favorite quote is by Edmund Burke from World War II, who said that the only thing needed for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. James says, for him, for him that knoweth to do right, and doeth it not, it is sin. But Solomon said it way before the New Testament. Solomon said, wisdom is the skill, the good judgment, the ability to know what is right and do it. He said, I had wisdom. You remember his prayer, right? Remember when God said, Solomon, you have anything you want. He said, give me wisdom. He said, you've asked well. But did Solomon live perfectly in the eyes of the Lord? Did he walk in that wisdom? You see, he had the wisdom, but he didn't use it. I've told you this story before, and I'll tell you a different one, just because preachers repeat themselves so bad. We were walking through the Charleston market yesterday, and they have all kinds of booths. And one, they have these unbelievable hand-woven baskets, gullah baskets, all this stuff. And uh, I, was, I said, man, that's cool. John said, yeah, they real cool. Pick that one up and look at how much it is. I picked one, it was about this big, and it had this cool woven pattern on the outside, and I picked it up and turned it over, $350. Well, I went on down through some of this. I didn't buy one, by the way. See, I just soon pay the money, go on a mission trip, and then buy one from a street vendor for 10 bucks, and uh, it goes a lot further. As we went on down, we come by a booth. I couldn't believe they're still doing it, and I love it, but they had baseball and football cards. Tommy, you ever have baseball, football cards? I have. I have the 1990. Dalton, you'll love this. I'm not going to tell you where it's at. I have the 1990 complete tops set. 792 cards in the box, still in the cellophane wrapper with the Beckett, which is kind of the stock market of baseball cards. I have the Beckett book that gave the value of those cards when they came out, when the Beckett magazine came out with these cards. Now, let me, let me refresh you, because some of you don't, don't make any comparison. 1990, what is it? 792 players. Ken Griffey Jr.'s rookie card's in that box. Frank Thomas's rookie card is in that box. You hear me, Kibo? We can buy a lot of dogs with this box of baseball cards. That's my point. People say, oh, you look up Beckett, you look at, oh, this card's worth all this. I've got Chipper Jones' prospect card where he's sitting in his high school dugout. I have Shaquille O'Neal's rookie card in the Orlando Magic. I have the 1995, right when Braves won the World Series, I have the 1995 Braves, not tops, but upper deck, cards, that's the top of the line Mercedes baseball cards, every single one collector set of the entire 95 Braves team. I have a, and I'll stop on this one, I have the misprinted John Smoltz, Tom Glavin card, 
where it has a picture of John Smoltz on it with Tom Glavin's name on it. And I had John Smoltz sign it for me. I have all that. Now think about it. How much do you think that stuff's worth? I mean, I ain't asking for a dollar. Probably worth a pretty good bit, right? Anybody that knows anything about it? Worth a lot of money. But if I won't sell it, you know how much it's worth? Nothing. We say it's priceless. It's worthless. Because you know what happens to that stuff? Burns up in fires. Grandchildren look at it and say, what is this? Daddy was a hoarder. Throw it away. Am I right? How many of us still wish we had some of the old stuff we threw away? My, grand, my grandfather, my daddy, had a grocery store with a little gas pump out front, and they had all the old Sunbeam, they had all the old uh, Royal Crown, they had all of those. My brother's got a few of those items where it's the old, it's not a reproduction, Royal Crown uh, thermometer, the red thermometer. Coke stuff, we had the Coke boxes and all that stuff. It's worth a gazillion dollars. You know where it's at? Tell me, because I don't. It's gone. It's worthless. Now, I'm going to tell you, wisdom, wisdom, Solomon had wisdom, but he didn't use it. So it was worthless. We know he had it because God gave it to him. And I'm going to tell you something. And I praised him, and I mean it. Those who get up here on this stage, those who use their abilities to play instruments stuff, but you don't have to play an instrument to be gifted by the Holy Spirit of God. And for you to have the gift of teaching, of singing, of exhortation, of encouragement, of helps, of giving, of prophecy, whatever it is, and you're not using it, you are worthless. Wisdom. First of all, wisdom to handle an inheritance. He tells us in verse 11, wisdom is good with an inheritance. You ever sat around and thought, I think I'm going to do a genealogy search. I've got to have a rich uncle somewhere that's close to death. Because I'm broke as a convict. Don't act all spiritual like you wish you didn't have a rich family member. Maybe you do have a rich family member. Inheritance, we think about it, but we think about it as the prodigal. If they'll just die, then we can have something. We can get what we want. We got a scheme to make sure siblings don't get in other things. But he said here, wisdom is good with an inheritance. Inheritance literally means a portion, a possession, or a heritage. And a heritage has two parties in it, right? An inheritance has two parties. First of all, the one receiving from others. So look at receiving from others to us. What, what would we receive? I'm not asking about China, not asking about vehicles, and I'm not asking about what's in the, in the safety deposit box. I'm talking about the blessings of life. You know what we ought to value more than anything? Time. Time. The wise words. Trey and John, y'all were ordained just a couple months ago. And still to me, the most special time, and all the men in this room I believe would agree, the most special time of our nation was when they come down and they whispered words of encouragement, words that stick with us. 
where they encouraged us to stay in the book, to pray, to love your family, to always keep your eyes on the Lord. Don't become distracted. And then they laid their hands and prayed. That part of pouring in, that's a heritage. You understand that? Steve, we got an inheritance from those who ordained us. That's what it's about. Is the reception of others. Those who graduated high school still getting envelopes in the mail. Don't that thrill you? Really? It don't do anything for you? I used to like to get mail just to get mail. Back in the old days, if you weren't married and you were young, you were a young male, they, they would sign it master. They would say, Master Matt C. Brady. Any of y'all remember it like that? Am I the, thank you, LaDonna. At correct penmanship, right? And I would get that, but when I graduated, we'd get envelopes from this one or that one. and You knew which one to go to first because you knew the cheapskates. You sort them out. Then you'd go to the ones that you were banking on. I'm going to get this stereo with this one. This one's the one that's going to get me through the summer before I go to work or start college. It's the blessings, but along with blessings, hear me now. The Bible says, to whom much is given, what? Much is required. Be careful what you ask for. Because the more you get, the more you are accountable for. You hear what I'm saying? I used to think when I started off in maintenance, construction, working at First Baptist Church Atlanta and then working at the county, these guys that looked so important had these huge key rings. These giant key rings. And they could go anywhere they wanted to go. I thought, man, if I could ever get to a point where I got me a big key ring. And then I got a big key ring and I thought, you know what? That guy over there don't have to do all this stuff, and he don't have any keys. So I want to give them all back. Because with blessings comes responsibility. And with it comes temptations. We live in the greatest country on the face of the earth today. Now, I'm always careful in saying that because of Israel. But I believe God's blessed us. But I also believe we're living in dark days. Dark days. And it doesn't have to do with a specific person or party. It has to do with the body of work. We, hear me now. We are reaping from the fields that we have sown in the last hundred years. We have sown into fields of free love and do what makes you feel good. We have sown into fields of hedonism. And at, to put it biblically, Epicureans, I can't even say the word. The work of the Epicureans in Revelation. Where it was just, hey, don't tell me what to do. Whatever I want to do, I'm going to do it. And that's the right way. Your morality is not my morality. We have bought into situational ethics and emotional ethics. And what's happened is we have inherited freedom and the temptation to think we can do whatever we want. 
Freedom does not mean you can do whatever you want. Right? I can't, I can say I'm a free American. We've got that, this group now that they say I'm a sovereign American. I, you, police can't say anything to them, do whatever. But I guarantee you, if I go down and bust through the gates at the port, say so I can just go for a ride on a boat. Somebody's going to stop me, ain't they? You ain't going to come into Evans County and just do whatever you want to. Right, Sheriff? I mean, I've been around Dale and Edward and all these other police officers long enough to know. You can't just do what you want. So does that mean you're free? You're free to do right. You're free to do wrong. But wrong still has consequences. We need to understand, receiving blessings also opens up the door of trials and temptations. And he tells us wisdom is good with an inheritance. In other words, the inheritance is fine as long as we're wise with it. As long as we're wise. Think about it. Who are some people that comes to mind who had great inheritances, who had great blessings thrust upon them they couldn't handle it? I'll tell you one I think of right off the top of my head was a woman named Patty Hurst who couldn't handle it. There are Rockefellers, and there are great people who have uh, done great things in America, but their kids couldn't handle the inheritance. God has given us much more than they could ever have. You know what the greatest blessing in the world is that we're mishandling? Y'all ready for this? To know God and the greatest commodity of them all the love of a heavenly father and the possession of eternal life and walk day in, day out without telling someone else they need Jesus. He said, so, oh, uh, we shouldn't use terms like soul winning and things like that. And it's up to God. But the Bible tells us in Proverbs that he that winneth souls is wise. There's wisdom for those who have a burden to tell their neighbor, to tell their enemy, to tell their family member, Jesus Christ died for your sins. What if somebody wouldn't have told you? God loves us. The receiving from others to us, but investing in others from us. This is opportunities to pour into other people's lives. I'm going to tell you, I, I spent two days the early part of last week at the Georgia Baptist Mission Board for a shepherding conference. And uh, two, two uh, professors from New Orleans Seminary came and about 50 of us pastors, staff members sat in that room and through the staff of the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, uh, these two uh, gentlemen who are uh, the doctoral committee at New Orleans Seminary poured into our lives. They didn't say, hey, this is the way to have a successful church. This is how to build a mega church. This is have to, how to be number one in baptism, number one in Sunday school. Matter of fact, they did exactly the opposite. They said, are you going to the doctor once a year? Are you having blood work? 
How's your emotional health? How are you living with your family and with your church? Have you been hurt? How are you dealing with that hurt? One of the books that we discussed and we read said how to escape from the success syndrome of walking away defeated because nobody came to the altar, because you're not leading your association in baptism. You're not in the top 100 in Sunday school. Does that mean God doesn't love us and not working in our lives? Listen, we've been given opportunities right here. Amen? And we have a chance to bless others with the blessing we've received. Y'all remember having a cake auction here? Y'all remember that? I think we sold, last time, Faye, you may want to help me. One, we had like 27 cakes. One, we had like 31 cakes. And the first time we raised somewhere around $5,300 to $5,800. Second time, over $6,000. I love all of you. Miss Dean, your hummingbird cake is the bomb.com. I love that stuff. But can I tell you, I don't want to burst your bubble, but they wasn't a cake in there worth $350. But I paid that for one. One time I'm bidding for a cake, and I'm like, who in the world is trying to stick it to me? I'll turn around, my wife's bidding against me. But can I tell you something in secret? I'm not going to tell you any names. I had two or three deacons come to me before. says, I don't care what I get. How, it's $350 to send a student to camp. Y'all listen to me, young people. Especially those of you who went to camp on those cake auctions. These men and their wives said, I don't care what cake I get. I'm going to spend $350 at this cake auction because I'm going to send a kid to camp. Wasn't about the cake, even though the cake was phenomenal. I mean, we had three cakes on our counter at home, somebody came in, I said, y'all want a $37 slice of cake? <laughs> Trying to recoup some of my losses, pour it back into ministry, you know. Every bill was paid because of that auction. Every bill. And it had nothing to do with cake. It had to do with pouring into young people's lives because they knew when they went to camp they'd be blessed. Opportunities to minister to your children your grandchildren. Look, be wise with your finances, but be wise with your spiritual walk so they see, so that when you're gone, they'll look back and say, Daddy was a man after God's own heart. Mama prayed and loved us kids and took us to Sunday school. Your kids will not talk about the Sundays you missed to go to ball practice. They'll talk about Bible school. They'll talk about Sunday school. They'll talk about the Sunday you made them go to church, and that's the day the Holy Spirit convicted them. They walked out. They poured out their heart before a holy God. God saved them. That's what it's about, church. I'm not saying vacation's bad. I'm not saying all that. But we need to get it in focus now. What matters? Investing in others. But then... Not only wisdom to handle an inheritance, wisdom to understand and accept providence. We quote this one scripture. Once again, it's one of those Philippians 4.13 that we will stretch this thing till the rubber band is broke. Romans 
for all things work. All things do not lounge around. All things work together. All things work together for good. Who's good? His good. And the good for us. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you're a parent, you ought to understand this precept of God. Everything your kid wants is not good. And the things that sometimes they perceive as bad is the best thing you can do for them. Am I right? Parents, am I right? I know we're Baptists, but we can say amen. Amen. Listen, we need to grasp the fact that all things work together for good to them that love God, not love the world, not love our kids more than God, not love our spouse more than God, not love our recreation, our vacation, our vocation, but we love God. And everything else is secondary. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Some of us, we, we want to use that verse. We don't have a clue what God's called us to. And it's not God's fault because He's not the author of confusion. We're just too busy to listen. You see, we need to grasp the fact it's His will, His way. His will, His way. What? Man, I'm going to tell you, I've lived on this verse now. Genesis 50, 20. Next time you think you really are going through a trial, and you are, if you perceive it that way usually, but I want you to not beat yourself down, but I want you to understand the most faithful servants of God have gone through some of the most dramatic trials known to man. Joseph, the young boy with a coat of many colors. It wasn't his fault his daddy made that coat for him. It wasn't his fault his daddy treated him the way he did. But he did. And his brothers hated him for it. And one half of the brothers wanted to kill him. The other half said, no, that's too much trouble. Let's just sell him. Let's get something out of it. Y'all stay with me now. And so they did. Remember, they took and put blood on the coat. One make it like the lion ate him and all this. They threw him in a pit. And they sold him. And then they got him out. And people they sold him to took him. And then he got sold again and traded off. And he ends up in Egypt. And then he's framed for something. Hear me now. In the day we're living in, he was framed for something he did not do. Am I right? Potiphar's wife framed him. We live in a, in a world that scares me to death. How many teachers are in here? Active teachers. Raise your hand. All right. How many... Uh, how many police officers? All right. How many, let's see, how many pastors? How many men that work with women on a close daily basis? Hear me now. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not trying to be cute. This is fact. We live in a day where people are tried in the court of public opinion and on social media, and all it takes is for one person 
not to like you, one person to bear a grudge against you, to wreck your life. You say, well, I got a right. You got a right. But you know what? God had allowed Joseph to be where he was at, but it didn't stop Potiphar's wife from framing him for rape. And she was the aggressor. Does that not sound like that's ripped off the front page of a local newspaper? I'm not saying everybody's innocent. Go to jail and ask them they are. But the truth is, there's some, it's, it's not true. And I'm not referring to any case. I'm just telling you that when we go through life, we need to have the wisdom to understand and accept providence because he ended up in jail. He didn't get mad at God. He asked his friends to remember him, and they forgot him, and yet God still brought him out of the dungeon, put him back in the ruler's home, and when it all shook out, he saved his entire nation. And this is the word he said. When his brothers said, he's going to kill us, because he had the power. All he had to do is look over and say, that's all he had to do. He said, you meant it for bad. But God meant it for good. For those of you who are in the midst and the depth of the dungeon in life right now, hear me. There's two reasons you could be in there. Number one, you jumped off in it. But there's a place in Jeremiah that said, and the people took Jeremiah and they put him in the dungeon and put him in the mire so that the water was gone and he sunk up in the mire. Other people, trials and tribulations, they have thrown you into the mucky mire. I want you to have hope because Joseph was brought out. David said in Psalm 40, his personal testimony, he said, there was a time where I was destitute and apart from God, but God reached down and he saved me, he said, and he took me up out of a horrible pit and out of a miry clay and he has put my foot upon the rock and he's established my going. Amen. Because I'm going to tell you, I have been a dungeon dweller both ways. And after someone's thrown me into that dungeon, into that murky mire, you'd think I'd have enough smarts not to jump back in. But I'm not that smart. And for whatever reason, I die back off in it. We need to see His will, His way. See it, follow it. Sometimes it's not fun, church. But where does the Bible says, say to us, ye must be born again to have fun. Don't you admire the Apostle Paul? Man, I love reading Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. I love that stuff. Now, my favorite, y'all know I preached it, his last will and testament. I absolutely love 2 Timothy. To hear his heart. But have you ever read the stuff he went through? But he said, I counted all, all, all the good stuff. The world would say, oh, why would you get... He said, oh, that's dumb. That's waste. That's, that's the garbage heap of my life. I counted all loss for the excellency, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. All I want to know in you, he said, is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
We need to see it and follow it. In prosperity, there's going to be times of prosperity, but it's not just our wallet's full. It's financial, it's mental, but there's got to be a, a balance. Look in verse 13 and 14. Consider the work of God, for who can make that straight, which he hath made crooked? We talked about this last week, about numbering the hairs on our head and counting the spots on a leopard. We read in the New Testament, he said, who can make straight what God has made crooked? God, God asked Job these same things. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. Be thankful for what God's gave you. Are you here today? Period. Are you here today? Then you ought to be joyful because there's a prosperity in that. You're not in jail. You're not in the hospital. You're here, in God's house, worshiping a risen Savior who is Christ the Lord. Did anybody walk here other than choice? We're blessed, church. We're blessed. And we need the wisdom to understand and accept God's providence. Say, so I don't know why I'm being blessed. I don't, you know, and it. He said, enjoy it. Enjoy it the right way with wisdom, but in the day of adversity, consider. Because there's going to be good days and bad days. So what's he telling us? Balance, church, balance. Not this spiritual roller coaster where we have the spiritual highest of highs and lowest of lows. We either want to preach and lead the Sunday school and sing every special. We even want to lead in quiet, silent prayer. But when prosperity seems to wane and it seems like everything in the world's against us, we quit God, we quit church, we don't want to sing, we don't want to talk, we don't want to be around God's people. It's this. That's why we see people come down, they're fired up for God, I want to get baptized. And three months later, Homeland Security couldn't find them. They're gone. Because it's this up and down, up and down, up and down. He said, find balance. Be joyful, consider it, because it's going to be emotional, it's going to be spiritual, it's going to be mental, it's going to be physical. We need a balance to accept God's got a plan for our life. Does anybody believe that? Do you understand it all? But you believe it. You know what you just said? I have faith. I have faith. Let me finish. Wisdom to recognize righteousness, wickedness, and know the difference. He said in verse 15, All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. There's a just man that perishes in his righteousness. What's he saying? I would term this a martyr. He said there are men who have died because of living right. He said and there's a wicked man that prolongs prolongs his life in his wickedness. Have you ever looked at a situation and said, God, why? 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 They, they're living like open hell. They mock God. They mock you. They mock the church. They come after everything that is right, and yet they continue to prosper. Read the psalmist. 
He said, not for us to fret because of evildoers. God does not forget. And it's God's job, not ours, to try and even pray for retribution. I know it's hard not to follow the imprecatory Psalms and say, God, rain down hellfire and break their bones and kill their family. And It's hard not to do that sometimes. But he said here, be not righteous over much, neither make thyself over wise. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? What he's saying is, follow correctly. Follow God correctly. It's the picture, if you will, picture the temple altar, and there's a bunch of guys standing up over here. They got nice looking suits, a lot higher dollar suits than this. They all clean, well coiffed hair, good smelling stuff. I mean, they're sharp. These dudes, they, you know, they're movers and shakers. Like, if I could get in that circle, I could move up. But then way down there on that end, there's a very unattractive, almost just unnoticeable man because he's on his face before God. This is a real picture. Because Jesus said this was the Pharisees. And they were all standing around. And one of them happened to elbow the other one and said, look down there. Who is that? This sounds like church, don't Hey, you know who that is? Man, do you smell something? Does the guy not know it's church? Why, why won't he shave or something? I mean... Don't he have a better shirt than that? Look at him. He, he don't even know what he's doing. He's down there. God, thank you. God, thank you I'm not like that. God, thank you you've blessed me so much I, I'm not poor like the Haitians. God, thank you I don't live in Europe in a third world country. I'm going to tell you some th- stuff we do thank God for. God said, don't thank me for that. Because that's your only focus. This thing. They said, God, thank you that we're not like him. We don't pray like him. Lord, we tithe and we give and we pray. Everybody knows we, we, we're sold out to religion. But you see, they couldn't tell it. But this guy over here wasn't alone. No, there was no one knelt around him. Nobody come and put their hand on his shoulder. Nobody whispered in his ear and said, I'm praying with you. But he was not alone. Because as he would not even lift up his face because of the holiness of God, and he smote his breast and he said, Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The presence of Almighty God fell on him and dwelt among him. And he said, This is the guy I choose, not that generation of vipers. Now, who are you? Who are we? We must follow correctly. It's one thing to do true religion, which is care for the widows and orphans, and it's another thing to have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Flee continually. There's always somebody after us. There's, Satan will not, will not retreat until the Lord raptures his church home. 
Don't go to sleep, senior adults. Satan's still walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He wants our young people, but he wants our senior adults as well. Flee continually. And then we ought to fear faithfully. Look what he said in the latter verses. It is good. Sounds like that song, It Is Well, doesn't it? It is good that you should take hold of this. Yes, also from this withdraw not your hand. For he that fears God shall come forth of them all. This is a reverential fear. This is seeing God in His holiness. This is having an Isaiah view of God so that we understand we are people of unclean lips and unclean lives. This is having a John perspective where we focus on the holiness of God. Said, I can't even be in His presence. I'm dead. I just know I'm dead. We need to fear faithfully as they come to the instruments. Are you focused I mean, really focused. Do you see God for who He is? Where there is a continual following, even in the midst of adversity, even dis, uh, despite our prosperity. Are we where God wants us to be, walking in wisdom? Remember, it's... Skillful. Are we investing in others? Is our heritage going to be that we were wise with God's word? That our children grew in faith and in the nurture and admonition of the Lord because of who had poured into us, we poured into others. It's called discipleship. It's called evangelism. It's called the Great Commission. It's called being wise in the Spirit, not in our own eyes but in the power of God in our lives. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is our, every decision we make, every question that has arisen uh, in our lives, every trial that seems to overtake us, every doubt, every confusion, every blessing. God, may you be the victor. May you be Lord of my heart, my mind, my hands. Everything, Lord, may I walk in wisdom in everything I do. If you need to come and say, God, I need, I need some focus in my life. I just, I'm looking at everything. And I can't see the forest for the trees. And no matter how much I turn those windshield wipers up, it won't clear off the rain of my life. God's saying, pull over. Here's your rest area. Pull over. Pull over. And find rest for your weary heart, mind, and soul. God will restore you. God will encourage you. God will strengthen you and make you what he's called you to be. Come. Trust Jesus. Stand and come right now. Others will pray with you. I'm assured of that. Come. Come to Jesus.